You know, I, I do want to say from afar, I've always respected this podcast's name. So it's Thank an honor you so to be much. here. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Some people have no idea what's going on. Some people come here to talk about gastroenteritis and they're very lost. And uh, we're happy that you understand the reference. Listen, the rights to Ricky Sanchez set the bar pretty high. You guys sure. got your, your show. And, and someone had a show. I think I think it's now defunct called Talking About Practice, which also an epic podcast name, yes. but uh so the, the, yes. Philly, the philly the philly podcast market is strong with uh with titles right you really can't be right down the middle you have to be sort of a weirdo when you name the podcast in order to fit in um so obviously what we're here to talk about uh for bleach report yesterday you had a report about bradley beal you reported that he's strongly considering a trade or requesting a trade this week prior to the NBA draft. So that came out uh, sort of midday on Saturday. Today's Sunday. Uh, has anything changed since that was published? And have you been able to glean which way Beal might be leaning uh, presently? No, I have not. And nothing has changed. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like, I mean, I heard that Someone, someone from the league said that it was take. It could be as soon as Monday. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's there's no there's no clock or date or trigger time when he will decide. I think he's just deliberating. And you know, mm -hmm. after that story went out, someone with a St. Louis connection with him, let's say, um, texted me, adding that you know he's def. It's definitely on his mind. It's something he's talking about with people. So. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, nothing has changed there's been no decision and I don't know when it will come, but, and it gotcha. could, he could decide to stay in Washington. Right. Um, but that, that's kind of where we're at right now. Got it. And so, you know, a, a huge reason why, you know, obviously we're, we're in the market for, for a star guard here anyway, but, you know, I'll read a quick quote from your article. Uh, Beal does not have a proverbial uh, list of preferred destinations, but it was mentioned by multiple sources that he would welcome joining teams such as Boston, Golden State, Miami, or Philadelphia. So obviously that got all of our attention pretty <laughs> quick. Um, do you have any idea how he might rank some of those destinations? And also you did mention uh, that it would be a league-wide bidding war, which is pretty expected, but how much do you think Beal is basically controlling where he goes given he can opt out after next season? So I don't know if he's the type of guy who's like definitely trying, <clears throat> excuse me, definitely trying to manipulate this market if and when that situation arises. Um, I, th I think, you know, I, one of the people I talked to on Friday who's close to Brad and, and has been in, in dialogue with him um, said that there really is no list. It's like a media driven narrative type thing, which, you know, of course I'll say that but that he's wanting to go to a winning situation. And that's why I think, you know, those teams really popped up. I mean, there, there are four teams that are in the playoff picture that have a lot of assets to go get him. And I think, you know, that's, it makes sense that, that those situations would be ones that he would be welcoming. But, you know, I threw Atlanta in that story being that they could make a super compelling package to get him. And obviously 
Philly fans know pretty well that those Hawks just made the conference finals and they've got a lot of young established pieces. Like that's, that's why this is all coming to a head right now being that um, this draft is, you know, considered to be so loaded with talent that having, you know, a number four pick from Toronto, let's say, or pick seven or 14 from Golden State, that's a lot different of a trade haul than, you know, future picks that, you know, the, the, the Bucks sent for Drew Holiday or, or the Nets sent for James Harden. Right. So, if it's the Hawks when they already had these established pieces, right? Like Bogdanovich or Kevin Herter or Cam Reddish. I mean, Onyeka Kong was someone who has a lot of value on, around the league right now. I don't know if the Hawks would love to throw him in there, let's say, but, uh, and, and this is not to say the Hawks are definitely going to make a, a run at him, but I'm just using them as an example of someone who might be an out of the box or, or, or less of center, you know, answer here, but, you know, maybe, it, it could get really creative. I mean, the league, like no one expected OKC to go after Paul George, you know, I'm not saying OKC's gone after Brad Beal. I'm saying it could be a, yeah. you know, a, 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 a suitor out of left field, if you will. So um, I think those teams are the ones to keep a, a particular eye on. I mean, Miami's always been linked to him, um, but I, I just don't know how long, like how much value that Tyler hero, Duncan Robinson grouping really has at this stage. Um, but I, I think, yeah, like I wrote, there's going to be a long list of people uh, looking to looking to at least have a conversation about bringing Bradley Beal into their situation. So the other lead guy in Washington is, of course, Russell Westbrook. Um, at this point, from what you can tell, is he likely to be dealt out of Washington regardless of a Beal trade? Because there's been some sort of scattered reporting on Washington uh, sort of finally committing to a rebuild and uh, considering getting off of Russ after uh, his one year in Washington. So uh, yeah. do you have any idea if they if they seem likely to get off of Russ one way or another? Um, you know, someone I talked to in the league, let's say, I won't get too specific, mm -hmm. um, mentioned that, you know, when, when they hired Wes Unsold, who was always the, the loudest name rumored for that situation, um, with the connection with his father to the franchise and you name it, um, but even still, they, this person said to me, in, in, a person in NBA coaching circles, like that, that, that hire clearly signaled to this person a rebuild was coming. He, uh -huh. That's not a hire you make to, to, save, to save your superstar, right? Like Sam Cassell is definitely someone who's been mentioned that Bradley Beal liked a lot. And I'm not saying he was lobbying to have him be the head coach, but, um, you know, that would have been more of a – a hire that signaled across the league, like we are trying to keep these superstars in place. Um, and I think as I wrote in the story, the, the Russ dynamic is kind of bringing the Brad stuff to a head too, being that it was less than a year ago that Russ requested a trade from Houston to get to Washington because from everything I heard and Kevin O'Connor, I know reported this too, and other people probably did as well, that Russell Westbrook requested that trade from Houston because he thought and knew that James Harden was going to do the same thing. And I think right. this dynamic is coming to play here too. They're, they're both able to, to test uh, free agency in 2022. And as you know, we stand here today, I would expect them both to as well. Like Russ, Russ is right back to where he was in terms of his, his peak value. I, I think after the strong finish to this past season. Um, so will that, you know, great, you know, will, will that bring back great offers for the, for Washington? It's difficult being that he, has $40 million on his salary and uh, you know, he's, he's a little bit older and he can opt into free agents like we just mentioned, but um, yeah, the Lakers stuff doesn't go away. I don't know. I don't really know how they're going to get him. You know, the package yeah. was KCP, Kyle Kuzma, 
and Montrez Harrell, which sure. And that mm-hmm. includes Montrez Harrell opting in and like the Lakers exceptionalism at play here, with the Dennis Schroeder <laughs> sign and trade stuff and the Harrell, like you can't just think all these players are just going to do what you want them to do to help you get a championship. That's not how this works. Right. So right. I, I think Lakers fans and Lakers officials need to kind of uh, readjust their expectations here. And um, I, I, I don't know how clear that's going to be, but with Russ, yeah, I, I think there'd be a, there's definitely, it definitely seems like there's going to be a bigger market for Russ if he does become available this summer than it was last year. Last year, the market was pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess some of that's probably, he came off like a really good last month of the season versus kind of a disastrous playoffs in the bubble. Definitely. So that, yeah, that the M- the, yeah. The NBA is a, what have you done for me lately league? And yeah. you can, you can be the worst player in the league one day and the next week be like, top 50 player not saying russell's the worst player in the league but all 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 of a sudden you'll be valued as a top 50 player that's kind of how the nba works it's a very uh amnesia short-term memory marketplace so assuming you know it sounds like if beal's gone westbrook probably asks out and based on that there is at least some way you could argue that ben simmons fits in washington but the other package that i think you know at least you know, Steve and I have talked about that we think probably makes more sense would be, you know, sending Ben to a third team and sending, you know, all the Sixers picks, the third team's picks and a couple of our young guys. And that's kind of a Beal or Lillard package. But what do you think, you know, in terms of what Washington's looking for? Um, is there more of like a full on rebuild, like something, I don't want to say like what the Sixers did, because I'm who's to say if they'll commit to it for, you know, more than an off season, but, but something like that versus, you know, getting, you know, a 25-year-old who's been an all-star back and kind of accelerating in that way, you know, along with picks, but fewer picks. Yeah, I think, um, you know, objectively, it's, I think the the Boston Jalen Brown package, if that works, become, you know, available, I think that might be a little bit better than Ben, mm-hmm. unfortunately, unfortunately for Philly fans. Um, Jalen Brown is just a better, you know, sure future player at, at this point and current player too. Um, I, I think that they have less at play. Like the Celtics don't have, um, they only have uh, their, their picks in the future, but they don't have this year's first, obviously that went to OKC already. And, um, you know, they don't have that, that trove of future capital that, that Danny Ainge was, was flirting with moving for so long, you know, that the Memphis picks are gone. The, mm-hmm. the Clippers pick from, from trading doc all those years ago, that's gone. So, that limits them too. And I think all those picks that they used, like Romeo Langford and, you know, Carson Edwards and Tremont, Wall, like those guys aren't as appealing as Tyrus Maxey or Matisse Tybel, you know? So it, it's kind of a, a mixed bag of what, what offer would I think would be better, if you will, for lack of a better term. But Jalen, I do think is probably um, you know, someone, anyone in the league would, would prefer to have over Ben really at this point. Um, and I think that's been reflected in, in the offers Philly's been getting or the discussions they've had. Uh, I, I'm writing about that. I think it's coming out today. And, and Kyle Newbeck kind of already uh, scooped me on it a little bit in, in establishing where the market is for Ben right now. But yeah, all that being said, he's a 24 year old all star who is, you know, he was. The, the runner-up for defensive player of the year and is an absolute animal on that side of the court. And, you know, look at, I mean, OKC is like, there's talk about the Shea fit their timeline, but like 
the Wizards already have a bunch of young dudes. They've got Rui. They've got Denny. They'll have potentially, you know, picks coming back uh, this year. I, I think for having someone like Ben, who is more of a distributor, could be something that's appealing to them um, in terms of getting the ball to all those young guys and, and helping give them reps and getting them, uh, you know, developmental opportunities. That, that was that was the big Michael Carter-Williams trade, uh, you know, stressor for a lot of people in that organization when they moved him back in 2015, right? Like, who's going to be the guy to get all of your young pieces the ball and put them in positions <laughs> to succeed? So maybe that type of uh, role for Ben is something that would be appealing to Washington. Okay, so uh, today's Sunday, uh, you alluded to just sort of, you know, you're sort of at the mercy of whenever Beal decides to make this decision. And uh, in terms of whether it comes early in the week or late in the week, it seems like the deadline that we're looking at is Thursday for the draft, um, probably from both of their angles. Like, do you think that there's anything that Washington would try to do to accelerate that decision so that they can, you know, really do an actual bidding war if he wants out? Uh, so that it's not Wednesday and they have to do all of this before the draft. Like, do you think that there's any uh, interest on the team side to do this sooner rather than later? And would you expect somehow for this to be kept under wraps if an agreement is met that they're going to part ways or just sort of the nature of, of today's, uh, you know, NBA media landscape that it will get out uh, to the public? Um. I, I I don't have that answer, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. About right. How how it will come out or not? But I'll say and the timing. I don't think is really like I don't think there needs to be like a Wednesday at noon deadline type thing mm-hmm. because the, the way the way NBA trades kind of happen typically they happen over months at a time. And I think you know look at the we mentioned that the Boston uh, had already traded their pick already, right? So that deal with with Al Horford and Kemba, like that happened like that on the surface right but i mean i it's it seems pretty clear from a talk people on the league but b just knowing how this this stuff operates like they were probably talking about that package back at the trade deadline and um you know just read this re-stoke those coals and and, and re and hashed out the particulars and what what have you like i I'm, I'm putting this out in a couple hours that new orleans and memphis are kind of haggling over a deal right now to move up from 17 to 10 for the Grizzlies, um, but something with I would send Eric Bledsoe back to, to to Memphis, but like it hasn't happened yet. And yesterday, all these people were texting me like, "Hey, check in with New Orleans and Memphis. Like they're they're close to a trade." And then when I texted people involved with with the trade, they're like, "It's not that close yet." But that being mm-hmm. said, like when, when Thursday comes around, and New Orleans is on the clock. Like that deal could happen in two minutes. So right, like, that, that all that's to say, I think if Brad makes this decision, you know, Thursday at four o'clock in the afternoon or, you know, right as the draft is happening, it'll make Washington's phone lines light up and it will be a much more stressful, chaotic evening for Tommy Shepard and his front office. But don't necessarily think it'll be that difficult because also they're, they'll, they'll be operating a position of power right away. And they'll say, look, the clock is ticking on all these picks, make us your mm-hmm. best offer and we'll go from there. And I think those best offers to, to, to wind this up, to wind this down from what I was all kind of, all kind of explaining, like, those best offers, I'm sure Washington has already heard the framework of all of those. I'm sure Daryl's already gone to Washington and pitched what has put what has Ben Simmons you know, package would be. So um, and Toronto has been calling left and right around the league, as I wrote in that story. They've been calling about trading up, they've been calling about trading back. They they made an offer for Damian Lillard. Like they're they, I'm sure, you know, 
they've already kind of discussed the frameworks that would happen here. So I don't think it's really like a big deal, the timing on it. Got it. So, you know, there was some shit talk and then Beal was pretty complimentary after the series <laughs> of Joel. Do you know if they have any kind of relationship? And, you know, I know uh, it's been mentioned, I think you mentioned it, that, that um, him and Tatum have a relationship. Um, but do you know, you know, on the, on the Sixers end, if he has any relationships here with Joel, maybe? Yeah, the only real tie I'm, I'm familiar with is I, I do believe Joel is still fond of Drew Hanlon, and Drew yeah. Hanlon is one of Bradley Beal's closest friends and uh, trainers, and you know they're always in in the lab in the off season together, all that type of stuff. So that's the one obvious connection. And um, I mean, I, I do think generally across the board, Joel is a pretty beloved guy in this league, and um, I mean, how can you not love him? And I think mm-hmm. he's especially when you're in that all-star stratosphere, you know, that Hooper basketball player conversation mm. came up this week. Like, <laughs> I think, I think at that level, at that top all-star level, like those guys care about dudes who just like put in the work and love the game and want to get better. And like, don't give a shit who's across the court or who's with them. Like they view themselves as, you know, an alpha and a guy who, who can win anytime he steps on the floor. And for that, like, I think Joel probably has the respect of, everyone in that top tier just being the work he puts in how good he is and the kind of you know he's clearly someone who wants to win so um do you have time for a couple more questions before we get yeah let's, here? I know that. let's do all it right. yeah why not all right so uh spike asking of the right to ricky sanders podcast he tweeted a sort of a hypothetical that i thought was a little interesting yesterday uh he basically tweeted about what do you think about the likelihood or like as a sixers fan would you take Beal if it meant taking Westbrook as well? Um, now, that would sort of, if you're Washington, from Washington's angle, that would suggest that they're dying to get off of Westbrook and they will attach him to Beal and take, you know, probably a bit less of a return. Like, to me, like, basically, what do you think the likelihood is of Washington looking to do something like that? Or do you think that they'll just trade Westbrook for what they can and maximize the Beal return completely if he asks out? Um, I just want to take one moment to call out Spike on air. It, clearly, he deleted all of his old tweets because he only has 658 <laughs> right now. And you know what? That's a power move when you're going to a new yeah. job. So I respect it. Smart. Um, Smart. You know, I definitely <laughs> – I'm scrolling through all, all of his tweets now. This is funny. Um, I, de- I definitely think, um, you know, bring if, – if, if, bringing back Russ, quote unquote, is a requirement to, to getting Bradley Beal. You do the deal. I mean, it's just right. Bradley Beal is, I mean, I was talking to a coach about him just in my conversations last week. And the reason why he would be, be such a, the reason why he is such an appealing piece right now and in general is, He's not Damon Lillard in the sense that um, he's the most like malleable piece that is an all-star, I think, you know, in the league. Like he's someone who any team could easily incorporate, um, you know, Denver is a team that's been, you know, considered to be high on him for the longest time. And, and I don't know if, you know, that's some, that's like, that, that's what I'm talking also about. Like there could be, you know, any team that comes out of left field to go get him. And I think it's because, he is that guy who can, he's only 28. Like if you get him on a five-year deal next summer, right? Like, like we haven't locked in through his prime. Right. Like that's why, that's why this guy is such a hot commodity right now. 
And if you're willing, if, if taking back Russell Westbrook, who only has got, you know, one, maybe two years left on his deal, hell yeah, you do that. Um, uh, go ahead, Ben. All right. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was wondering, like, you know, you mentioned, you kind of compared him to Lillard just now. Um, and we talked about it a bit in the, uh, in the Liberty Baller Slack. But, uh, you know, personally, I would prefer Lillard. I just think he's the better player. But, but you seem to suggest maybe some teams – do you prefer Beal now, whether it's age and you mentioned malleability? Do you know if, and obviously right now it seems like, you know, from, for what we know, Lillard has not asked for a trade and Beal, if he's traded, will probably be by Thursday. So he's the guy right now, but um, mm. do you know if there's like a preference between the two uh, generally around the league, uh, if it wasn't for, you know, Beal being the guy now and Lillard maybe being the guy later? Yeah, I, I'm writing this whenever it comes out today. I think that's part of why um, there hasn't been so much traction for Ben is that, you know, I think they're all happy waiting out that Dame situation too. There's, there's, there's certainly rival executives around the league who are sitting here hoping Dame comes back from Tokyo and looks around at what the Blazers did in their offseason and says, hey, this ain't good enough get me out of here. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there are certainly people hoping it will. And you're right. I do think Dame is, is higher regarded, if you will. Um, He's just the guy who's done it. Like as much as Bradley Beal is um, hyped up to be everything I just said he was. And um, you know, Dame hasn't only, it's only gotten to the conference finals once, but like he has been the guy to like put a team on his back, at least for a round in the postseason or two and brad hasn't really done that um and not to besmirch bradley veal but um you know i think dane definitely just had there's, there's a little bit more cachet that comes with someone who's like a true you know four general and someone who leads an offense like bradley veal is leading the score in the league but he's off the ball guy he's, he's been more and more on ball before and i think he could be some i think he could like play the fact that point guard like james harden um, although I think Harden like is a point guard now, that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think sure. Maybe Dame has a little bit more X factor, whatever you want to call it a little bit more ability, but they're pretty close. Right. Um, finally, you've mentioned that you're writing about, uh, Simmons in a way, and, and, uh, we're excited to read that for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you like, how essential do you think it is? Uh, for the Sixers. And I know that Maury will give quotes about how they're not going to do it, uh, you know, from a position of weakness and, and they feel like they will bring him into the season if they can. Like, how tenable do you think that situation would be behind closed doors? Do you have any idea, like, after what just happened uh, in the Atlanta series, given the optics of it all, um, and just given the place that the team is at with, with Joel and with you know, their, their window of contention. Like, do you think it's a tenable situation to have been on the Sixers game one? I, if I, like, if you want to, people are trying to gamble on this. Like I wouldn't bet that Ben's back. Um, right. But it's, I don't, I, I don't think they're going to just trade him just to trade him. Like I definitely right. want to, to, to I mean, Daryl is, is an asset guy, right? Like he, he, he's going to want to do a deal that moves the needle further for his team. Um, so I think with that being said, like, I don't know. I, I do think it's, it, I mean, I was texting someone who 
worked for the team for years. We just left to go to a different team uh, yesterday. We were saying we we, 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 both, we were in agreement, but like it, both sides would really benefit right. from a change of pace here. I mean, I, I'm not a Sixers fan, uh, but I definitely am an Eagles fan. And it reminds <laughs> me super, it reminds me very closely of the Carson Wentz situation. For sure. He's, he could probably have an MVP type caliber season in, the, in Indianapolis here with the Colts, but like he wasn't going to in Philly. And I think, right. um, you know, I, I'm not going to write this in the story, but I'll, I'll tell this to you guys and, and uh, you guys can do what you want with it. But like, they haven't been able even to really get in touch with them since the season ended. Like there was, there was a, there was um, an intent to have, you know, a workout plan or whatever, like, like in any off season. And that's, that's always kind of been the case that, that the Sixers haven't really been able to uh, align with, a development plan. I mean, and that's kind of what your own Weissman wrote at Fox Sports in that big story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't sound like there's ever really been movement to come together on the same page to do that, and it, it hasn't really worked this summer either. So, oh I think that I think that's not something that uh, is an encouraging sign for him being in Philadelphia in the future. <laughs> well, and you, you know, the media speak at the end of the year was all we have plan with Ben we know the right work to do and all of that so that is certainly something less than good um Jake cannot thank you enough for for coming on and joining us uh we love your work uh let's see what what can we get out there for you uh Bleacher Report obviously I think by the time it comes out (laughs) yeah so the book is built to lose uh it's a great book we talked about it at Liberty Ballers I can include that link in here um uh, anything else that we can tease or, or get out there for you? Where can people follow you? Yeah, I'm at Jake L. Fisher on Twitter, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. I, I mean, I, I, I usually write a weekly column for, for BR, but with the draft and all this stuff, it's kind of just we write as the new cycle is going now. Um, and, yeah, the book is out and live and living and breathing and would love as much attention and support to that as possible. It's on Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, my Poetry Triumph books. Um, it's got, and I talked to over 300 people for that. And you know, a lot of the stuff I do right now is like anonymous sourcing, being that it's all sensitive and whatever. But that book's got a lot of crazy shit on the record from a lot of people that any NBA Twitter fan, any NBA fan who loves drama and gossip and hearsay and rumors, I got I got a lot of people airing out all the shit. So. Yeah, please give it a read and uh, buy a copy if you are interested. And it's obviously the Sixers are at the at the heart of that storyline. So, for sure. Um, again, thank you so much. It's, you know, you're a Liberty Bowlers alum, and it's very nice to have you back uh, in our your old stomping ground. So, uh, really, really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a busy week for you. So get some rest, and uh, and we'll we'll be reading what you have put put out. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Jay. Have a good one. See ya. Well, that was wild, huh, buddy? That was a, that was a bombshell to leave with. Wow. We got a bombshell. What do we do with it? Uh, well, we just, I don't know. We're still recording, so. We're definitely still recording. Yeah, we'll talk. Um, <laughs> anything, I wanted to just check in with you. Is there anything that you want to say about, because uh, the second half of this podcast will be us rejoined by Emily and with Daniel Olinger to talk about the draft where the Sixers just might not take anybody. Um, but we need to do certainly a draft preview. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say about Beal? Uh, you know, for me, the more I think about Beal, the more I like him. He's really good and I, he seems to improve all the time. And, um, 
you know, certainly the uh, he would line up with Joel in terms of their age. I do think that Damian Lillard is better than him right now, but I think that Beal is in that discussion of like the the players that you would hope to get next to Joel, which is a guy on the perimeter who can just get a bucket at any time. And um, I would be really, really thrilled to get him in Philly. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're in a position where like when it comes to perimeter scoring and like all around perimeter creation, like we can't be choosy here. And right. I would if if you said like which would you want? You could have either, which is not the case. I would want Lillard. I would want Lillard. He's only, I think, what, two years older. Um, and he's I think a good bit better. He's the biggest to me, the biggest difference is his shooting. Um, he's he takes a lot more threes and makes a lot more. And I know, you know, basically we have this discussion, you know, with some of our friends at Liberty Ballers, but you know, the the Sixers don't necessarily have a need at shooting, and especially Ben's gone, don't have a need at shooting. But that doesn't change the fact that like it's important to be a good shooter in basketball, even if it's not your team's primary need. Like, like it's, you're talking a 40% three-point shooter on like 10 a game versus and that's Lillard versus Beal's like, I think less than five at like mid thirties. Um, and I that's think it. he's 35% on six. I'm checking though. But so you can correct me because I'm sure that wasn't exactly right, but, but yeah, either yeah, way, yeah. Big, big difference. Um, and so for, for, I think that's a big reason I prefer Lillard, but, but really, I mean, I would be very excited to get Beal at this point. Um, I think that I was hesitant to do like a Sims and a lot of stuff for Beal trade last season. Like after we missed out on Harden, I thought, you know, I thought the team wasn't really there. I thought that, you know, Simmons was still a year younger and, um, and I didn't know Joel was going to take this leap. Um, but all this, I mean, Simmons has gone another year getting arguably worse. Um, Embiid has gotten a ton better. Tobias is better than we thought he was. The The young pieces are now assets, and they're, they're good if we somehow get to keep them. Um, and Danny Green's been – and Seth Curry have both been really good additions. So I, I, I think that the team's in a place where, where you do go all in for either. And uh, – I don't think the difference between Beal and Lillard and some people might prefer Beal and disagree with me. And I think that just shows how, how relatively small the the difference is. And I would absolutely Mm -hmm. not, you know, say like, well, let's hold out for Lillard and not really go all in on Beal. Like I'm giving, it's kind of like a max contract, right? Like the Sixers, you know, in a max contract, you have a certain amount of salary you can offer. And I'm viewing these trades the same way. Like with these two guys, these are max guys. You're pushing all your assets out there because these are the guys that are worth it. These two guys are the two guys available who are worth giving all of that for, you know, the Simmons, the picks, the young guys that they asked for them. And I view them in the same way. Like this is all we can give someone, maybe someone tops it, but for us, this is our max. We're, we right. need to offer it for both. Um, and so, yeah, I would be thrilled to get him. And I, I do think he's worth it. And I, I do think he makes us a lot better. Yeah. Um, so just for the listener right now, it's, uh, about 9.45 a.m. on Sunday. <clears throat> Jake talked about this piece that he's uh, dropping today about Ben. If that comes out today at some point, um, we'll definitely talk about it uh, this evening when we're back together and we do the second half of the podcast with Dan and Emily. Um, but yeah, for now, that's that's it. Jake was really great. And I thought that he had uh, a lot of 
very well-informed uh, things to talk about there. So uh, yeah, that's it for now. We'll be back uh, uh, with the second half of this podcast. And then, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Have a All good right. one. See ya. Well, for everyone else in like five mm-hmm. seconds. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so now we're back. Uh, Emily is still not here. People are skipping ahead as I say that, uh, but she's not here yet. She'll be here soon. Uh, but with us now is Daniel Olinger, uh, of course, of Liberty Ballers, and he hosts two podcasts for us. He hosts, uh, co-hosts with Sean Kennedy, the Talking About podcast, and he hosts uh, the Sixers Draft podcast, both of which are great and very successful. And uh, you're here mainly to talk about the draft and we'll get to lots of draft stuff, but uh, you know, we'll also hit on some NBA and Sixers stuff for that. Anyway, how are you, Dan? I, uh, social media tells me that you ran a lot of miles yesterday. Tell me how that went. Yeah, Steve, uh, great, ha- grateful to ha- that you guys are having me on today. I love the show, obviously. And uh, yeah, I, I ran a half marathon yesterday. Uh, me and my sister decided that we were going to do it. Um, I just kind of like running in general, something I've, got into while I was probably trained for sports in high school and just I don't know I just do it a lot now uh went pretty well we both finished top three in our age group which was cool that's so, great congratulations yeah. yeah that's very impressive yeah although it's like because it's like I ran like an hour 37 which is pretty good but like the guy I forget whoever got first overall did it in like an hour 20 which I don't even know how like just that's just zooming for 13.1 miles yeah yeah but uh, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to talk Sixers, excited I to talk about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so uh, Dan Volpone and I uh, have, have decided that we're not done debriefing from our thing <laughs> with Jake, and we just told you about it. By the time people are hearing this, likely there's uh, about to be a piece on Liberty Ballers about it, just relaying what Jake said that was unreported, which is basically that the Sixers can't get in touch with Ben Simmons at all. Um, 
And meanwhile, I told my mom this downstairs. I uh, I leaked it to my mom, and she was like, "Well, is he okay?" And I go, "No, he's on social media. He's fine. He's not like he's not a missing person. We just uh, so uh, Volpon. Where do you want to go with this? Uh, how have you been thinking about it? What, what do you think about uh, the Sixers not being able to get in touch with Ben Simmons? I mean, yeah, like for the like this is going to sound very back to back on the pod, but. For the listener, we talked to Jake at like 9, 9.15, 9.30 a.m. And it's now 8.45. So it's been, you know, 11 hours, yeah. almost 12 hours. And I've been thinking about a lot. Um, <laughs> it's a really bad look. And like, I don't think either of us are particularly surprised by it. But I think it's surprising to hear that they're not even pretending. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not surprised. Like Ben had always seems like, you know, you know, your own reporting really touched on a lot of this um, right after the, the season ended, but, but basically that, you know, he didn't want to work with the team trainers. He wanted to work with his own people, with his own, you know, brother for a shot coach. Um, neither of us were too pleased to hear that. Um, but you hear about, you know, Doc and Daryl saying they have this plan for Ben so I'll read you their quotes. Yeah. Uh, but you would think at least like they would Ben would at least be pretending, like, because he doesn't, he still has a lot of years. He has four years left. It's not like he can just ask out and he has, you know, a ton of power, like, you know, the six is now or never to trade him. So it's so we and and his value is lower than ever. It's not like teams are knocking down the door either. Like if one team the first team that steps up could easily get him. And we're at the point where no one has even stepped up to meet that value. So like for him to still be kind of blowing off the team is pretty shocking. And it just makes me think that like, yes, the Sixers seem to want him gone, but all of, and, and we were pretty sure that Ben wanted out. Um, even if he wouldn't like make a public scene and request a trade because right now his value is low and it would just be a really bad look. But I mean, this, this to me is just screaming. I do not want to be back. All right. So uh, I'll read you. These are the end of the year quotes from Daryl Morey and then, or from Doc Rivers. And then I'll read you the ones from uh, Daryl Morey. And now this is a lot of people, of course, would respond to this by saying, well, what are they supposed to say? Like, are they going to say we're going to trade Ben? We'll never talk to him again. Probably not. But this just seems like a stark contrast from where they were to where they are, because given the way Jake phrased that, that it sounds like the Sixers have made efforts to at least be in touch with him. Text exactly. Him. Yeah. It's not like they're both. It's not like they agreed started the off season. We won't talk. Uh, Ben's going to do his own thing. We're going to find a trade for him. It's like Sixers trying to contact Ben, Ben not picking up the phone is what it sounded like to me. Well, all right. So I'm going to read this bullshit and then I'll also talk about the, uh, the birthday stuff. And then Daniel Olinger, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of it. So Doc Rivers said, I believe without going into detail with what we're doing, I believe we know what the right work is and the right type of work and the right way to do it. What the fuck does that mean? Uh, you can go do the work all the time, but if it's not done in the right way and it's the right type of work, you may not improve. After being here for a year, I really do believe we've identified what and how and now we have to do the do part. That's how it's written. 
That sounds like a parable. Congrats, congrats to Doc for being the first one to realize Ben needs to learn how to shoot. That's really big. I wish someone, I wish Brett could have figured that out. It sounds like he's trying to fill out a word count when I read this. Um, <laughs> we have to work to do it. It's not going to be an easy job, but it's definitely a job that Ben can do. I guess the job is basketball. Um, <laughs> here's Daryl Morey. I don't have the full quote, but just in part, and this is thank you to John Clark. And that first thing I read was uh, reported by Tim Bontemps at ESPN. This is from John Clark at NBC Sports Philly. Uh, Daryl Morey on Ben Simmons being willing to fix the free throw shooting and whatever the Sixers plan is. Quote, my understanding is Ben is all in on the organization, I believe, and we would expect the players to do whatever is necessary. Uh, some context for all of this um, would be the birthday stuff. Ben's birthday, one day before mine. Don't worry about it. Um, Happy birthday, Steve. Thank you. Ben was uh, had his first social media sighting on his birthday. Uh, he said, uh, reflecting back, I've experienced some amazing highs, and with that, some of the lowest lows. Life's a journey. I'll always remain relentless and remain human through it all. Here's to my 25-year hashtag relentless pursuit, doing what I love on my B-Day. I'm blessed. Personally, I don't really have an issue. That seems like a fine birthday post, whatever. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then Ben Simmons retweeted a bunch of messages from his birthday, including from the NBA and from the FaZe Clan, which I refuse to ever learn, much like NFTs. I will die next. Dan, Dan is young. Dan could describe FaZe Clan. Uh, I cannot describe FaZe Clan because I don't really play video games that much. It's it, but, but you know as much as I do then that it is a video game thing. Okay, so it is a video game thing. We've narrowed it down at least somewhat. Um, and then sort of the cherry on the top. Now, I believe that no Sixer publicly wished Ben a, a happy birthday except for Shake Milton. Um, Joel Embiid did not wish Ben a happy birthday on social media. Now, he doesn't usually. I don't think that he really does that for anybody um, except for maybe his fiance and his son and apparently Sixers minority owner Michael Rubin. Which was the next day, right? This was the very next day, uh, <laughs> the day of my birthday, actually. He posted a picture with Michael Rubin saying, happy birthday, my brother. You are getting old. Love you at Michael Rubin. Um, all right. So, Olinger, give me your take on the thing that Jake told us, you know, that quote, uh, as it lays in the context of all of this stuff. And do you think the social media stuff is uh, something or nothing, basically? So, however you want to take that. So, um, I would say the social media stuff, honestly, I'll just start with that because I think it's easier to touch yeah. on. Um, I honestly, like, I think it's funny, but I don't think it really means anything, basically. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, like you said, Ben's post was pretty normal. It's and his birthday, then and B, like you said, is hardly ever doing it. And he, he clearly has a really good friendship with my Rubio. It's just what he does. I don't think Embiid, I don't think it was intentional by Embiid, like how it was taken. It just it was one of those like uh I was about to say right place, right time might have been wrong place, wrong time, however you want to phrase it. Like just I I think it's me, it's kind of just a coincidence that ends up looking kind of funny given the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh obviously what Jake told you guys is much more uh important to the Sixers future than that um you know I don't know if I want to assign blame or anything but it's just really pointing towards like yeah it's the trade's probably going to happen because I mean tra trades are more likely to happen when you I guess are have a relationship currently with the 
or if you don't have a relationship from the team, it seems like. And I mean, I can understand like, cause you obviously like, we know why the Sixers wouldn't very want Ben Simmons to be traded. Um, like if Ben Simmons himself wants out of Philly, like the, and it's just cause like you think about it, these athletes, they get to where they are. They're all incredible at what they do. They all probably, cause in Ben's mind, it's probably like, Oh, if I was in this situation with X players, X things are different. I could be great. And we could be winning titles. Like, cause that's basically every play. Almost every player in the league is that confident. Every that's how they get there. Is they're ridiculously confident in what they do. That it, they not like being on like being above all forms of criticism, but like understanding that you know they have to just believe in themselves that they can overcome that. And it's like after failing this many times in a row with the Sixers, they're kind of assuming that the problem's the other. Obviously, the Sixers and most fans, most people watching them, think that Ben is probably more the problem than the Sixers situation itself. But yeah, it's just, I mean, my just main takeaway would be like, yeah, the trade's probably happening. I don't know how you could say at this point, it probably isn't. Yeah. Um, what me, for me, it makes me think back to that report from Woj, who this was now probably a month ago, I think, or, or a little bit more than that, six weeks maybe, where he said that Rich Paul met with Daryl Morey in, I think, Chicago at the time, where they were for the draft combine. And they were meeting about the future of Ben Simmons. Do you think they brought Adele? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We talked about that. Rich Paul is dating Adele. What a lovely thing for both of them. I hope it's very good. Um, and I remember saying at the time, I hardly ever remember any scenario where a high-powered agent meets with the team of his embattled star about the future, and the result that they reach isn't, let's move on. Um, of course, Within that report from Woj was all of this sort of media speak about how uh, the team is, you know, excited to build around Simmons and the core and blah, 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 blah. Um, this report from Jake and many others that have come out just about the, from Shams about how they're openly fielding offers flies in the face of that, in the face of like any sort of resolution with Ben in Philadelphia. I don't blame anyone involved for wanting to move on from this situation. If I was Ben, I would fucking want to stop playing basketball in Philly too. Like, you know, it's not fun at this point. And certainly I, there's lots I blame him for, but on a human level, I would also like to see what it's like in fucking Minnesota. Um, Dan Volpone, anything else on this uh, Ben thing before we move on to some other stuff? Uh, not really. Um, but one thing I will say is like, I think there was a big, I don't even know what to call this. But it was definitely talked about by Ben and Joel that they're a lot closer than ever. Like, they were always fine on the court. They never hated each other. But now they're buds. Like, that was the whole thing coming into the season. And, like, I don't really care at all what anyone posts on social media. But it just seems like there's not a lot of support for Ben from Joel at this point. And well, the thing it made me think is, like, sometimes you're not a birthday poster guy. Like sometimes you just don't do that thing. Like maybe you post once every six months or it's an Under Armour thing. Unless it's one of my siblings, I don't post for a birthday. Sure. Usually. Yeah. The, the fact that he tweeted the next day about the birthday of somebody in the organization, it, it, I find it hard to believe that it's totally lost on Joel, the optics of that. Um, okay, I think he wants him gone. I really do. Like, I, I think that Joel has been... I've never, let's put it this way, and, like, 
here's one time you'll hear me. And I think I mentioned this before, like I'll, I will agree with the pro Ben camp on this, which is that Joel's comments, right. You know, everyone, the, the people were defending Joel after a lot of people saying like, Oh, Joel, if you have to look at the whole quote about, you know, the turning point in the game, which was Ben's oh, sure, pass yeah. and then other stuff. And like, he didn't say it was just that. It's like, no, like, I think he, I think the Ben people are right. Like Joel was mad about that. And oh, he yeah. called that out. I don't, he, he said other stuff after I do. I agree with the Ben people. Joel is calling that out. So I do think that like, I've never heard Joel really place the blame on anyone else publicly. Like I'm sure he was not, you know, Daryl came and remember like, I remember when, when the Sixers, you know, signed Daryl to a contract and Daryl tweeted out the screenshot of him on FaceTime with Embiid. I bet Embiid was like trade Horford right there. Like first conversation. Uh-huh. I have no doubt. Yeah. But when it comes to like publicly calling out a teammate, never heard it from him before. And I think he's, I, I, I agree. And, and if you want to criticize it, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to, because I've been frustrated with Ben too, but I think that, you know, it's generally the right read that he is pretty fed up with Ben and is probably not wanting him back and has probably made that clear to the organization. Yeah. I like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I was just going to say, like, we talk about that, obviously, that play so much, and now it just lives in infamy. And Joel, like I said, went out of his way to reference this very specifically in the post-game presser. Like, Yeah, he wasn't asked what – he wasn't asked yeah, what yeah, was yeah. the turning point. He, he yeah. went out of his way to say Yeah, it. but it's also, like, um, going out of his way to say just quick aside, I was watching, like, Big Ten media days for football. It's fair to say, but, like, those things get weird with some – how some people – PJ Fleck from Minnesota voluntarily told everyone his ACT score, like no prompt at all. Right, like just, <laughs> what did he get? What did he get? Okay, so I'll say it because he did say it on TV. He got an 18, which he, he brought up to every. He, his Is that good or bad? What's it out of? It's out of 36. Whoops. Okay. His, his point, he was making the point. He said he has a lot of smart football players. He's saying their scores are way higher than mine, but no one had asked him. But back to Joel Embiid. Um, <laughs> like, because that play, like, yeah, it was bad. It honestly, he's not the reason the Sixers lost, like, at all. Like, the play is a metaphor, really. They scored yeah. a point on that position. Yeah, it's just, like, it's the metaphorical downfall where it's just, like, it just feels like this is painful, like, because at that point, on you just are having such hard time believing in the team. Like, like, you can point to a million, probably not a million, you can point to probably at least 10, 20 plays in that game that probably were more detrimental to the Sixers. But, like, like, Honestly, Matisse is the one who gets like he, he it was not Matisse's fault. He like got pitched to that for the dunk, but Matisse like kind of gets off scot free in terms of a uh, Matisse's foul of Kevin Herter was probably honestly way more awesome. detrimental. Like that, and I love Matisse. I, I think Matisse yeah, yeah. awesome. Like that one, that play killed them. Like that one was like three points for a dude who hadn't been missing all game, and just when they could not give up three points like that, like that's a much worse play. Yeah, but it's just not the same, you know, just to hold the same emotional weight. And also, like, again, it's what are you expecting a Matisse Thabo versus Ben Simmons? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I do think that Matisse Thabo is fairly inexcusable. Um, but again, like, oh, if yeah. you look at the series as a whole, the pass is just capital T, capital P. Emily Cannell has joined us live from Philadelphia. And before we get to anything that you have to say, Emily, we have to say something, which is congratulations. Congrats, Emily. Mazel tov. You have passed your OT boards. Uh, congratulations to Emily. Um, we're all very excited for you here at the Gastroenterologist Blues. How are you? Thanks, guys. Um, hey, I'm 
I'm good and happy belated birthday to Steve. I don't know if you said that earlier, probably. Yeah. Your present didn't come yet. So that and it's is a present uh, for Dan and I, right? Yeah, I got a present for Dan and you. All right. Um, it hasn't arrived yet. So at so some point nice I'll you. share it with you and then we can probably share it on the podcast as well. So all right. Very excited. While you're here, so we're at the table. Hi Dan, other Dan. Hi. <laughs> Uh, can, my, can my present be Jared Butler being at 28 for the Sixers? Sure. <laughs> we're going to find out who that is very soon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever that is, you can have him. Um, you guys, Emily, you guys, all, you guys all saw Jared Butler. I, I saw the, the game that he was in. He played on Baylor, I, so you all saw at least yeah, one. And, but mostly mostly I know who he is because I watch your videos, and that's yep. mostly why I know who he is. Okay, but go back to what you were saying. <laughs> um, Emily, so we're wrapping up the uh, Ben discussion. Obviously, we had the thing that Jake told us, and then we were putting it in the context of the birthday posting or not posting, Ben not retweeting the Sixers stuff, and Joel posting about one of the team's minority owners the next day after Ben's birthday. Um, what do you, do you think the social media stuff is anything? And just what uh, is your take on what Jake had to say about how the Sixers cannot get in touch with him? Um, I definitely think social media stuff is something. I don't know how much it factors into like the actual decisions that are being made. Like, I don't think that, Daryl Morey is like, oh, Joel didn't wish Ben a happy birthday. Let's trade him now. But I think it's like a, a psych. That would be funny. Like, get him on the line. Um, but he can't get him on the line, it seems. So nope. Nope. <laughs> maybe, hopefully, he can at least get Rich Paul on the line. I don't know. Don't know. Um, but I also just the biggest, the biggest knock against Ben right now in my, the back of my mind is that he's not playing in the Olympics. I've said this three weeks in a row, but now watching the Olympics, I'm just like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to play in the Olympics. Don't know. Um, but things are definitely interesting with Ben Simmons and the Sixers. Um, anything else? So, uh, the Bucks won the title. They beat the Suns in six games. Um, very good. What would love to know if anybody has anything to say about that. I love Drew Holiday. I'm very happy to see him win a championship. Daniel Olinger, what do you got? I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk about it some. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, the first reaction is like, holy crap, Giannis! Like that was insane. Like I, I mean, also, I mean, if you let the two Dan's run the podcast, we could talk forever about Chris Middleton. It was very That's good. Right. And as much as I love Chris, he was not the Finals MVP. Like Giannis was just unbelievable that whole series. Um. And it kind of does make me think about the Sixers because I've been having this thought about like the Sixers this past year reminding me of the 2019 and 2020 Bucks, where they had a system in place all the regular season and it worked very well. Everyone was assigned to kind of like certain spots. You know, Tobias got his little his actions run for him to either for cuts to get post ups to get certain pick and rolls he likes. And B was basically we'll get you good position through movement to get a spot on the low block and you can do your thing. Uh, Seth Curry had all those Iverson cuts run for him and like little pick and rolls that can get him up. And basically they just had a like very set system that they stuck to and they could win with it. But you get to the playoffs and just a lack of versatility and flexibility can really kill you because you run into these better teams that just don't get run over by your initial system. And if you don't adjust, you're in trouble. I mean, that was the whole Bucks thing. It's like the Bucks in 2019 and 2020 were awesome regular season teams, like better than the Sixers team, honestly, but like just killing teams the regular season. But as soon as teams had a slight adjustment for them that they didn't necessarily go through. They kind of had struggled to find some ways through that. And I, and like we saw the Bucks this year, yeah, I took a step back in the regular season and if you can, we can quibble for the net series all we want. Cause obviously like the injuries played a huge factor in that, but the Bucks got better because they 
could do a little different things. Like games one and two against the Suns, they tried a bunch of different defenses, didn't find out what was working. Then by game three, they kind of figured out the right mix of switching and over and under defense that they wanted to play. And they that's because they had multiple things to go to. They kind of trusted in it. So like, that's one thing the Sixers like becoming more flexible, just in how they play throughout the regular season so that they can have multiple things to go to, but I'm also a little less confident just because I look at their players and if you're especially talking about the top three players, which for the Bucks, obviously Giannis, Chris, and Drew for the Sixers is Embiid, Tobias, and Ben Simmons at the moment. Um, you guys can argue if you only want. I love Embiid. You guys know I love Embiid. Giannis is better than Embiid at this point. And the main difference is that it's just the handle is a big difference because Giannis like doesn't make any sense how flexible he is at that size because he can control the ball in the way that Embiid can't, at least from the perimeter, because just he has more like, flexibility like Giannis doesn't make any sense when he makes some of those moves like how low he can get a guy that size and not like fall over like it just doesn't make any sense and the fact that he can control a game like that with his handle is really important then Chris Middleton like is better than Tobias again Tobias had a great year he's not as good as Chris Middleton and unfortunately at least come playoff time I think regular season you could say Ben's a better player than Drew I think Drew has more playoff equity because obviously, obviously, they're two of like, if you're talking about like on ball perimeter defenders at the point of attack, like Ben and Drew are like maybe one and two in the league. They're like both very similar in that sense. But the big difference, honestly, is that Drew, who even shot terribly most of the playoffs, like Drew never stops shooting. And he also still makes some quick decisions, still can pressure the rim, which honestly, like, that's one of my biggest takeaways from the finals is just how much constant rim pressure from like three to four positions matters because the Bucs could basically generate it from four guys on the court at all times, which is really hard to stop. But yeah, like Drew just constantly at least forcing teams to guard him in that sense while being such a monster defensively is a little bit better than Ben. And that's what my worry for the Sixers is they fought, would have to follow a similar archetype to the Bucs, but I just think they're a little less talented. Sorry for the long ramble, but that was no, kind no, of no. overall takeaway. Um, Emily, do you have anything on the Bucks winning the title? Um. Not really. I just think my favorite thing from the Bucks winning the title was two things. One, Giannis dancing, like as he came out of the tunnel in his glass, in his like champagne goggles. That was really cute. And also that clip of Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton, I think, when they asked how much champagne that they've had and they both look at each other and laugh. Um, so those are just two gems that have been like given to the internet out of the Bucks winning the titles. So that was my favorite parts. Dan Wilpone, anything on the Bucks? Well, I'm really happy for Drew, one of my favorite Sixers ever. Um, I had money, I had money on the Bucks and had money on Giannis Finals MVP. So that was really nice. That was a nice perk. Um, I do, I do think, um, and obviously, I love hearing Dan talk about basketball because he knows so much about basketball. But um, I think that Embiid can be the best player on a finals team, which I know Dan didn't say he couldn't. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. Yeah, my, 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 like Giannis over Embiid is like saying, here is, it's like the difference between unbelievable extreme and like slightly below unbelievable extreme. Like they're obviously two of the very best in the league. <laughs> right. And, and once, I mean, obviously, Giannis is a much, much better ball handler, but Embiid's a much, much better shooter. Um, I think that. The Sixers still really have not put the perfect team around Embiid. And I think you could argue that, you know, with the lack of handle and since they both are best scoring at the rim, that Giannis is still probably harder to, you know, find a way to stop as a defense. But, like, 
the fact that walling off the paint will make life harder on Embiid, but also completely take their supposed second best player out of the game is just triple making things difficult on, on Embiid. And if you get like a real three level scorer on the Sixers, um, I just think it changes things. And like, that's, you know, kind of what we've been hinting at all off season, but like, and it's certainly not a given, but if you could get a Beal or, or a Dame, like I think Embiid looks even better. And I think Tobias, like, I don't think Tobias is at the level where he's like, you know, I wouldn't call him a star, but he's like a, a borderline, you know, borderline on the not side, all-star who wants to score from the mid range. And when you have guys who are, in the way like that makes things hard on him too so like yes he has his own issues I'm not excusing Tobias for not taking more threes but like I really do think that things could be easier on the Sixers and like I've had a lot of conversations with Dan where it's just like the Bucks second and third best players were better than the like the Bucks third best player in the playoffs were better than the Sixers second best player like Middleton and Drew were both better than Ben and Tobias. And just again, like I know I've said it, I said it like the difference in B and Giannis. I think because again, it's something I've kind of developed like watching last year, something I've started taking into account more. Like again, big difference between Middleton and Tobias is the handle where Tobias kind of has to like, unless he has the advantage create, he has to back someone down kind of to get to his spots. Middleton's a little bit better at handling with like the ball, someone directly in front of him, just keeping the ball in front of him and it lets him get to his spots more though. And like, obviously it's just, it's, it shows that like a six are obviously good. Cause like the bucks did just win the title. Like this is a high bar to reach. They're a good team. Um, like, I don't know. Again, Giannis played what has to be considered one of the greatest finals ever. So like it's and like Middleton's like whole shtick is he makes shots. Middleton goes to like bad processes on the court where he does not get to efficient spots. He does not get any separation, but then he just makes it anyways. Cause he's six, eight and has a freaking high release. So, you know, that's what happens, but yeah, it's just like, I can see the blueprint, but I feel like they're still just a few steps away, but maybe that's just the pessimistic Sixers fan in me. I will say, uh, I just want to say two quick things about the finals. One is that it, it was not watching Giannis win a title is not, uh, a, a sign to stick to it with Ben Simmons. I don't think that they are <laughs> on the basketball court as people think they are. And Derek Bodner said this a lot more eloquently and succinctly than I can. So I'm going to read that from Derek who tweeted too many people think Ben Simmons can be Giannis. He can't not even with the same mentality. Simmons has never had touch length, body control or strength at the basket Giannis has. Expecting Simmons to develop into Giannis distracts from the real progress he could and should have made. Simmons and Giannis share similar weaknesses, but not similar strengths. Not at all. I think it's a very yeah. good way to say it. Yeah, Derek's writing that like, yeah, and that's not any criticism of Ben. It's like, did anyone just watch what Giannis did? Like, was Giannis yeah. is, and like Ben's a very good athlete, obviously. Ben is upper tier athlete. Again, Giannis doesn't make sense the way he's like constructed physically. He should not be able to physically do what he does. He hyperextended his knee like a minute ago, and he's like, he's a freak of like, nature. It's unbelievable. And like one of the big bother him. And like one of the big differences too is like Ben's a good leaper, but Ben like takes time to like Giannis at that size like gets off the ground so quickly every time. Like you watch that block he made. Like Ben's made some incredible defensive plays. I don't think anyone in the NBA can make make the play Giannis made where he's pressuring the guy throwing the lob from the elbow turns around and just rejects the dunk at the rim. Like 
the amount of, again, length, like Giannis has a longer wingspan, he loads quicker and he's a little bit taller and then still yet still all packing like the same strength, probably even a little more than Ben. Like, yeah. And that's again, no knock on Ben. It's like Giannis is as since LeBron's probably declined slightly physically in age, like Giannis is probably the best like raw athlete in the NBA. That's just the nature of it. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is like, I do think that Brooklyn would have beaten the Bucks, and like Kevin Durant's foot being on the line, like, Maybe that is the difference between like Giannis can never make it work, Budenholzer's fired, and like the Bucks have won the title. But they like capitalized on it. They like credit to them. Shit happens every single year, and they capitalized on it. Like the Sixers had this wonderful path lined up for them, and they could not take advantage of it. Yeah, I, um, like ahead, lo- losing losing in seven to the Nets, which was possible. They didn't do that, right? But like you know, even if you want to make the argument. Like, oh, they almost lost in the second round, too. It's like they played the Nets and we played the Hawks. And if we can't if we can't agree that that is a fundamental difference in the series, then it's just not worth having the discussion. The Sixers were not close. You could say if the even if I don't think they take the healthy Nets to seven, but like even taking the injured Nets to seven, I think you could say is with the way Durant was playing and, and even Harden was in. He wasn't right, but he was in and they. Like there, that's not the same thing. It's just not. Yeah, I also just don't think, in retrospect, this should look like a, like, any percentage less of a title. But yeah, every, every title is a real title. You shit you, happens every single year. Like guys get hurt. You know, there's if really the Sixer, if the Sixers played a Nets team where Harden and Kyrie couldn't play the whole series and barely won in seven before going on to beat the Suns in the title, we would not care at we would yeah. love it all the same and like again one of the things i'm most impressed with by the bucks is just like yeah they struggle a lot like everyone was going at them at the of those first two games of the net series and game three which they should have lost if not for a drew holiday spin move um yeah. like but one of the things i was impressed with the bucks is like just there's something to like their mental toughness just they were like getting beat down they looked like they were done several times throughout the playoffs and they just kept they seem like they were very just confident. Like we can do this. We just keep wearing everybody out. We are, they just did not fold like the entire playoffs, even that they get to overtime where Durant hits an amazing shot and they're able to stagger their way through and win it somehow. Like they just kind of found a way to keep surviving until they really hit their stride. Those last four games of the sun series. And they suddenly, they look like this juggernaut. who was just like the suns couldn't get anything they wanted. It's like, they finally realized all they had. So the last thing uh, we're going to talk about, I swear to God, at some point we're going to talk about the draft. <laughs> is uh, Woj and Zach Lowe did a uh, little special today on ESPN where they talked about free agency and trade stuff. They mentioned Ben Simmons. Uh, Zach Lowe said, I think his value is at an all-time low. I, I, I don't appreciate that. Um, How could it not be? He said the Sixers are engaging. Woj said the Sixers are engaging in trade talks, taking offers and making offers. Uh, the Sixers are looking for the best possible player in return. Uh, Simmons has four years left on the deal with me, which means a, the Sixers don't have to do this now. Sure. Uh, and also Ben has no leverage to, I guess, steer his market, uh, in any particular way. Woj said that things with Simmons could get serious this week. Um, yes, anything Emily that, that you have on that, that stuff with, uh, Woj and Zach Lowe. Just literally outside of the fact that could get serious this week I could have written that report just from like (laughs) like why 
like I don't know that any of that is newsworthy but okay we'll call it news uh yeah that's all I've got all right good. like no shit no shit basically <laughs> um, Dan Pone, anything on uh that that stuff would love for it to get serious this week yeah. I how fun would that we, we talk we talk we talk about this a lot but like I think we're like we're all in agreement that Ben is probably going to be traded. Um, the, the varying degrees of how likely it is. I think Steve is the most confident he'll be traded. Um, I just really need to see it happen. Like I won't feel better until well, until we have a, like a truly different team next year. The other thing that Wojin Lowe, uh said, and also um, Shams wrote a report that was really echoing, if not copy and pasting, a lot of what Jake Fisher said. Uh, in his article about how Bradley Beal is going to decide this week because he's going to decide ahead of the draft. Um, Daniel Olinger, anything on uh, the Woj and Lowe stuff uh, on the Simmons angle? Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, like, get, I mean, getting serious this week, it's like the social media stuff. It's like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. Right. I, it sounds, sounds about right. I'm like, unless you tell me specifically what deal could be in place. I'm not really taking too much stock into it. Just yeah. we already discussed, like probably thinking a trade's going to happen. Before we get into the draft, one last tiny thing, Daniel Olinger, I'm going to give you a quiz question based on a uh, tweet. You tell me which member of the Sixers universe wrote this tweet. Mapping out a sky. What do you feel like planning a sky? And they're currently on the team, right? They are currently in the Sixers organization. Let me just, I want to look up the team real hey, quick. Google the tweet, Dan, that would ruin it. No, I'm just looking at basketball reference. Okay. Going to the team so I can see all the players. Just, I like to see it in front of me. Um, Danny? So they're not necessarily a player. Is it right Danny there? Green? Oh, it's it's not a player? No, no. It, well, it could be a player. It could, it could be a player. It doesn't have to be. When he says in the organization, he means coach, executive, anything. Is it Daryl? It is Daryl. I think we. Yeah. My my guess for a player is going to be Danny Green. It's a uh, it's a picture of uh, he's too busy tweeting about the Holocaust. There's uh, it's a picture of all these banners, and he said mapping out a sky. What you feel like planning a sky? I don't know what he's talking about. Emily, take it away. Um. Well, before we get into the draft, I have one more thing. <laughs> Did you guys happen to see? Um, B-Ball Paul training his dog on Instagram stories Ooh. today. I didn't see that. I saw his tweet that said, stay focused, which I was like, yeah, you're right, Paul. I will stay focused. Well, he was focused on training his, his new puppy today. Wow. Um, and he kept like setting up obstacles for it in the hallway, like benches and stuff and like trying to get him to like <laughs> athletically jump over them, but he's too little. So he just like crawls under them or like wow. squeezes his little body around. And then Paul was like, he hasn't found his athleticism yet, and it was just very cute. So I recommend checking. Paul, out. He better it. get. He better get the backup center minutes next year. I, would I love need that. it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, to the draft after that segue. Um. So Dan, Dan O, because we know Dan B is not the draft expert you, here. You guys need to have like two different names for us. Or at least one of us has to get a nickname at some point. Dano, that works. No, Dano, I don't want to be Dano. <laughs> Too late, you're Dano. It kind of sounds like Drano, so that's that's good. <laughs> We're going to go with that instead. 
Um, what is like your just general overall outlook on the draft? Do you think we'll be picking at 28 or do you think we're going to trade that pick? There was a Kyle Newbeck report that the Sixers were likely to trade that pick. So what are you thinking? Yeah, like selfishly, I don't want them to make the, don't want them to trade the picks. I'd like to see like after these guys watch them, you get excited about the potential of them and see the pick. Although I obviously understand the rationale of trading it for the right piece. Um, and I, that's probably a little more likely, uh, it, to be fair, they did have a lot of rumors that they might trade the 21st pick last year, and they decided not to, partially because Tyrese Maxey had fallen there, and they clearly liked Tyrese Maxey, and now everyone does, and that seemed like a whole good process in the end. Um, so I would say it's definitely – it seems more likely, especially considering the Sixers seem to be active in the trade market. But, uh, I mean, I would like them to stay there. I do think there is something they can get, like – I'm trying to think because obviously like there's not a ton of cap flexibility for this team, given how much they've paid so many guys. Um, And I definitely understand the trade where like you're not drafting a, the type of creator or like, as we were talking about when the Sixers need a, if, if you're trading Ben Simmons, you obviously want a high leverage player back. You're probably not drafting that with 28th overall and more likely packaging that with a pick. But I, I think there's still like things that can be filled out through their bench, through their roster that can be used for like this 28th pick which is what I kind of have looked for when I've been looking over players. So draft as a whole, top of the draft, do you think there are, like, is there star power there? Oh, oh, Kate Kate is unreal. Kate is so good. So top of the draft thoughts, and then really more importantly for the Sixers, although you could argue with, like, certain teams picking high, like the Raptors, maybe, you know, things do end up impacting the Sixers with what happens at the top of the draft, but is it a deep draft or would you say it's more top heavy as well? I don't know how to classify deep because I probably haven't done, I, I wouldn't, you need to look at like other draft classes to say, is it deep relative to them or not? Um, I definitely think there's a lot of star power at the top. Like, I mean, Cade Cunningham is just very, very good at pretty much every aspect of basketball you could want. Uh, Pistons fans probably very happy about that. Um, you know, I would probably take Evan Mobley second. He's like, He's just an unreal defensive prospect with mobility and length, his size, everything they can do on that end, how scalable he is to winning situations. But, and I, that's not even to talk about Jalen Green, who I mean, me and Sean talked about and talking about a few weeks ago when one listener asked about a package, which, which basically would be Colin Sexton, Kevin Love for the South to match salaries in the third pick for Ben Simmons, which we actually, I thought I could talk myself into if like Jalen Green was still there, because I think Jalen Green is someone who, if you give him an advantage, he can really attack them because he's like an unreal vertical athlete and he, while also having some shooting upside and just having like a lot of physical tools to work with. I I could understand like if the Sixers went that route, like he'd have actually a pretty good fit with them, I think, generally. Um, and then Jalen Suggs, like probably like the, the lowest upside of the four, but also just a very good player. Again, I think a little similar to Cade Cunningham that I don't see many flaws in his game whatsoever into like glaring flaws. Definitely has less like high points and just the nature of being Cade 6'8", he's 6'4", 6'5", like you're going to be a little, have a little less potential in that sense. But obviously some very good guys there. Uh, the, the most important thing is that after those top four, which there's some people on draft Twitter of Jalen Suggs lower in the, like toward 10, but like other than that, like those four all pretty much agreed upon as really good prospects. There's like no consensus from like five to like 30 in terms of who is better than who. There's a lot of debate, a lot of, moving around really I know what happens so I'm pretty sure those four are going to be the top four as the four best prospects but 
like you know after that it's like as good as your guess is as good as mine is who goes where because it seems very fluid and very close so you talk about the uh sort of mock drafts there are lots of them uh the week of the draft is there a player that you think that you are much higher on than the general consensus and then is there a player that you are much lower on than the general consensus well, I wrote about him and podcasted on him. Uh, Kessler Edwards out of Pepperdine is a very a personal favorite of mine. Just because I've talked about a lot. I think the Sixers, why it's like my problems. Like, if, so if they trade Ben, just is Tobias the only player between six, five and seven feet? Like, can the Sixers get a wing who mm-hmm. kind of felt because that's the part of the great thing about Wayne's is that they can do a lot of stuff. They're very versatile. Um, also, you look at a team like the Bucks, like one of the reasons I think they want is they, as long as they didn't play Jeff Teague, so their top seven, their rotation was basically all six, four and up. Like there's nowhere to attack size wise. That is just like you're foolproof guarded against that with all that size they have out there. Um, and the Sixers just, while I love all, I like, I love Tyrese Max. I think Seth Curry's great. Uh, you know, um, George Hill, I think still has very good value. Matisse Thibel has the length to guard up against wings, but like just lacking that kind of size that especially coming off the bench, like, playing four guys six five and under with Dwight Howard was just kind of a little lacking Mike Scott fell off obviously this year Kessler Edwards out of Pepperdine is basically for three years he's shot around 40 percent from three and he is not just stationary shooting he can really shoot off of movement just running around a ton of screens can really get at curling the shots while also and he's standing about six seven of a pretty good wingspan like just I like that idea of a guy I think really slots in easily as movement shooting with the size to play defense and he has pretty good defensive positional awareness obviously needs to change his competition where basically the only high leverage teams he were he was playing on the regular were gonzaga and byu but i i think kessler edwards out of beat out of pepperdine is someone i would love to see the sixers take at 28 draft see that's a, it's, this is the different disagreeing thing draft twitter generally has kessler as a very good prospect like probably top 20 you look at the mainstream boards he's much more likely you think a guy who might slip to 50 at the six for the sixers right. than anything else so I have no idea where he's going to go. I think he's good enough to be picked at 28 and I would like it. I'm a little worried. He's going to go in between 28 and 50 and my, I won't get it. But like, uh, I, he's, he's really, really good in my eyes. And what about a guy that you think is not as good as they're being projected? Uh, generally? Hmm. Hmm. I, I definitely have some that I could say, um, miles. I, I talked a little bit. I had the one podcast with CJ Marchesani on, Deuce McBride out of West Virginia, who I was a little lower on, but he kind of talked, he had a really good argument for why he was, because like Deuce was basically put in a system where he did not have a lot of good offensive talent or scheme around him and was asked to do a lot of stuff. Kind of like my Shake Milton argument, like someone has to take those tough shots and he's being asked to do that, which kind of helped show me like why I did. Um, you know, I'll talk about one because it's weird. He was probably being underrated at first. He's risen up a ton in the during the draft process to process where he's been. He's now like I, the most recent mock I saw had him going 15 to the Wizards, which is a guy I first wrote on Trey Murphy out of Virginia, who is good. And like if the Sixers take him at 28, if he's still there, which given the latest intel seems like it's not going to happen. But if the Sixers took him at 28, like it wouldn't be my favorite pick. I wouldn't hate it. Like, again, it's about 6'9", shot really well from three this past year, about 44%. Much more of a stationary shooter than Edwards because Trey's very much like, I am open. I've already like jump stop. I'm set right here and I'm shooting, which does have value, but it's like, you're just a more valuable shooter. If you can be moving around the core all the time, which he can't really do yet. And he doesn't really have the handle then to maybe do stuff from there on out. I just, I think he's just a little less versatile than Kessler in that sense. But, and that's kind of the main thing is that I just like, 
I, I really love those kind of wings where it just feels like you can slot them in wherever and they will not hurt you. They're just, they are going to give you some value as long as they like make a couple threes each game. But I think Trey Murphy just might have some more trouble getting his shot off without that versatility. And again, like if he's at 28 for the Sixers, that feels like the right range for him. But where he's being currently mocked is like 15 or the board. Did you guys see that report? The Warriors had like four prospects in today. And it was like, quote, whoever wins this workout is going to be the pick. It was like a threat. It That's was a so- good way to handle it. Dude, I, I just like is it like a it's like a what is it a prospect death match? Like it was the anti Fultz because Fultz came in and he played like shit and they were like, we like him. He's he's ours. Too Maybe they should play rock, paper, scissors. Come on. And then Sirianni. whoever wins that yeah. is who gets to be the pet. Now it burns. They get they get asked which kind of tree they are. <laughs> yeah. <it> is. <laughs> but um no, um, like yes, Trey's a guy who I think like good, but I think he's probably a little too high for where he's projected to go right now. So you mentioned Kessler Edwards and Deuce McBride and uh, Trey Murphy. Right now we're going to go rapid fire. We're going to give you different prospects that have at some point been mocked to the Sixers in some way or another. And we want some quick thoughts about them overall as prospects and their potential fit on the Sixers. Um, So we'll just go around, uh, around and around. So first uh, I'll go with Jared Butler who we oh, I love Jared Butler. Uh, Jared's really good. Uh, and it's just so I've said it on multiple pods now on, on Liberty Ballers feed, but uh, Jared was like, he had a heart condition before, which some people were worried like he might not be able to, the NBA might not clear him to play because he had been red flagged for that. They did clear him to play. Does mean that some NBA front offices might say, hey, we might not want to take him just because this could pop up in the future. He does have this underlying condition. So that's just one thing to note for him. But uh, yeah, played played at Baylor for a while, about six three, six four in shoes. Uh, and really just like a, an awesome combo guard who fills both roles pretty effortlessly. He on the ball, he's got some really, he's got really shifty handles. Like his crossovers, his spins are just all so tight. So mechanically correct. He does the thing. Like, I think it's one of my friends, uh, Noah, which is at the NBA underground on Twitter. Like he said, it's what makes Shea Gilgis Alexander so good is that almost every move looks the same. So at least at one part. So it's hard to guess what it is. Jared Butler does the same kind of thing where his just, he sets up moves so well, like his movements. And then off ball, he's like a very good off ball mover, has the kind of smart Danny Green like cuts to the corner where he just knows where to find space and then can set himself pretty quickly and shoot. So just again, like, because I, I prefer like the Sixers taking a wing at 28, because I think they could use another wing and just it's easier to bet on wings later down the draft because, you know, guards and centers are a little more replaceable in terms of finding value, as whereas wings are a little bit harder to find. And so I think. That's why I prefer, but Jared Butler, I think, is one of those few that I could talk myself into because he does have the ability to make some advantage creation, which the Sixers desperately need, but he's also versatile enough that you can play him in a lot of different lineups. Um, so, like, that's just my main self. I'm just, like, I, I'm looking for vers- – Every it's, like, my whole theme. It's, like, the Sixers, I said, they need to get more versatile. Like, it's what the Bucks did that helped them win. The Sixers, I want them to get more versatile, and I think Jared Butler is probably the most versatile guard. Unfortunately, like, again, since he's been cleared from the condition – there's a cha- good chance he gets taken earlier than 28 because, you know, teams that need guards like the Lakers are like, oh, we could like Jared Butler. So, like, it might be hard of that. But, like, again, if he's there at 28, I'd be very happy with Jared Butler in a Sixers uniform. I have to say, if we want Jared Butler to be healthy, which I do, then the Sixers probably should not take him because that's a great, that's a great we point. don't have a great track record with health conditions. So <laughs> I would like him to stay healthy. Does he want any allergies? I mean, yeah, it's it's very scary over in uh, Sixers land. But number two, um, Trey Mann. 
Okay, yeah, Trey's a, another guy who I don't know if he's going to be there at 28 because I think some people are – and he's probably one that I'm a little bit lower on because uh, my I think of Trey Mann is that whereas Jared Butler, I think he has enough tertiary skills that even if the shots aren't going in at a super high rate, he's still going to be good. I worry that Trey Mann, the thing is he has to make off-the-dribble jumpers, which he's very good at to be good because that's really the main sell he brings. That he probably has like – it's it's hilarious like some of the screenshots you can get of him where he goes into like a cross out i call it like a cross back three where he like just he has his one leg lean forward he crosses back and like he is so like able to stop on a dime that guys just go flying like and not even ankle breakers but just like the space he creates is insane he's probably the best at the, the drive and that's a very valuable skill so if you're trying to hit like an upside swing like that like that's a very good guy to target he doesn't bring us he's not as I don't think his passing is that great yet. He has this weird thing where he like only passes with one hand a lot of the time where it feels more just like a weird like He's not like create. There's some guys who do it because they're like creating something else. Like obviously like Nikola Jokic will hold the ball with one hand, but that's because he's like a three-dimensional chess master where he's throwing it through angles you can't even see. So why did I say it should be four-dimensional, three-dimensional? We already have three-dimensional chess. But um, uh, no, like Trey, Trey Mann like – I just, thought chess is just two-dimensional whatever but um i mean you have the, the yeah. analogy lost but um trey man defensively he's a little he he gets a little lost off all again he's, he's not a horrible defender but it's again very guy like since he's a smaller very thin guy and i don't think his like has absurd like instincts on that end he's one of those guys where it has to be perfect in terms of awareness and rotationally just to like not get be a liability which is a lot to ask but that's my big thing trey it's just like and he's not a big off-ball mover like jared butler either where he can be very good, and he, I think he definitely probably has a little more upside than a guy like Jared Butler, but you're asking him then basically to do some very difficult things to be better than, which is to succeed. He has to make those off-the-dribble threes, which is hard to do. He has to be, like, very positionally accurate on defense, which is hard to do. So it's just asking a lot. Um, if he's at 28, again, I'm not going to hate it. I would I, – I just – I'm not a huge fan of taking – smaller guards later down in the draft if because usually the best ones the ones who are very explosive like get taken lottery or you get a guy like Tyrese Max you should have gone lottery and fell so here's a guy who I've seen play twice I think he's really bad and can't dribble but he's really handsome what do you think of Io Dosunmu uh Io's interesting I because I cover like I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball because I'm right inside you and I mean, I was beloved by Big Ten fans, or at least, or at least feared, because he he had a knack for like this past season. Like Illinois would always do this weird thing where they'd be down by like ten or five minutes ago, then he'd score like fourteen in a row. Um, very good college guard, uh, and I do I like Iowa a lot, especially like he seems like a great person, a really cool guy. He he wear he like once he he like hurt it, got a bad face injury in the season. Ward did the black mask thing. He looked awesome. He looked super cool, like Joel. Yeah, yeah, he's yes. I have just have very good vibes. I will give him that. Um, it is a little bit hard, like the same thing where he relies on the fact that he's a bigger guard at like six five, six six, and getting his shot off over people. And his shot, even though he shot really well from three this past year, he had not shot well before that. So it's like, is that an outlier kind of year where you're not really trusting that? Um, he, again, like one of those guys similar to Trey Man, very different players, but the similar thing of like you have they have to make a lot of tough shots, it feels like to be viable. And you're drafting basically a backup guard who he does have the size enough to at least maybe guard up a few positions, but like he doesn't have the quickness or burst of someone like Matisse, who's like just which is un, almost unfair because it's like, yeah, Matisse is ridiculous. Like Matisse, Matisse is one of the best, like 
agility athletes in the NBA at his size. But um, yeah, like I know what mock you're talking about, I think, which was I think it was the athletic where they had uh, Sam Vecini, who I love, had Io going to the Sixers, which my big problem with that was that Sharif Cooper was at 29 than the mock, who I would prefer Sharif, who, again, much smaller guards, it might not make sense, but Sharif has a case as maybe the best passer in the draft which I kind of, as a team like the Sixers, I always think use better passers. Like, that would be very interesting. Um, I, I was a guy, I would prefer him more. It's like, say the Sixers traded up from 50 after trading away 28 or something. If he's in, like, the 30s or 40s, I'm fine with it. I do see the, the vision, but, like, I I can't – I don't think I can get on board with Io first round. I I do think – and you see your point about he can't dribble, but I think he can dribble, but, like, like you're saying, not as well as he needs to for the role he'd probably play in the NBA, at least at this point. All right. The next one is, well, two questions. One, it's what can you tell us about Bones Highland? And two, does he have the coolest nickname in this draft? He's definitely up there. Uh, Cause I mean, like, cause it's full, the full name is busy bones. I think it is, but um, yeah, he's a, uh, he's a really cool. Even guy. better. Yeah, and, like, there's also, like, I mean, I already mentioned, I just, people call, like, and he, both him and uh, Miles McBride, he's called Deuce McBride, everyone, they're the two, like, the nicknames are so well-known, it's, like, just recognize that that's Deuce, that's Bones, so definitely. I tried to look up how to say Bones' first given, like, first name, but every interview I watched, they were like, Bones, how are you? So I was like, yeah, we're just going it, with Bones. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty Nishan Highland for those who are wondering. Yeah, um, yeah Bones is a very high shooting upside swing where I haven't watched enough bones and I actually prepared it. I think I'm going to do that. Like in these upcoming days, a few more games to him. Um, dude takes some really hard shots, but he makes some of those really hard shots. Like he legit will shoot double step backs from like 40 feet, like Dane Lillard. And he'll occasionally make them. Um, he does. He's very, very, is that like a, is that Isaiah Joe vibes? I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah shoots contested threes. Isaiah doesn't have the handle to do that, really, all those complicated setbacks. And I still like Isaiah, Joe. But um, Quickly, no. I just want to interject with when you said I haven't watched enough Bones, I was thinking you are talking about the David Morianas <laughs> show. <laughs> Go ahead. I haven't watched that either, so it's still accurate. Um, no, but he – no, like uh, Bones is, like, very skinny, very, very skinny has a long wingspan and can get a lot of deflections although he probably relies on that too much because it's like his whole defensive shtick is like i'm gonna gun for a steal here because i have really long arms um i don't know again i need to watch him more to know if i pick it at 28 i would not hate it because again i see the vision just like he can make some really ridiculous shots and i don't know if he it is again the similar thing i've said before like at this point in the draft, like you're betting on a guy doing probably the toughest job in the NBA to be truly successful and making those tough off the dribble shots, but he has shown a propensity to do it. So I, I'm a general fan of Bones Island. I would say I, I, like you said, the nickname is awesome. All right. So what do you think of Isaiah Jackson? I, again, I've not watched much of Isaiah and I, the part of the reason why is that um not really a Sixers guy I would think, cause he's basically a center. Um, it's like got some athletic rim running tools. I know uh, definitely needs to develop his feel. There's some, there's a hilarious clip I've seen before of him in high school where he was basically say with like his team had playing at the top of some full court press and like they're playing a really unathletic team once and he got like five steals in a row. Um, but yeah, like just generally like I, 
he's just generally one of those guys who I'm like, the Sixers aren't going to pick him. And I don't think it makes sense to the Sixers. So I'm like, I, I, what, was, I what would you think value wise about taking a center, whoever it might be at the end of the first round? Like, would you think, obviously the Sixers have a starter at center and they also have a B-ball Paul at center if they won. Um, would you think that that would be strange value to select somebody who is certainly a backup? Or do you think that if the player is there, you would do it? Well, I'm fine. Take like, I mean, my whole pitch has been like, like Kessler Edwards, the thing is like, I think he's the perfect backup for, for them. That's not the problem. The problem is that again, like centers, like we saw this last year, even though Dwight was bad in the playoffs, like you can get like useful NBA centers for like minimum contracts as your bench guys, you don't have to spend draft capital on them. And then additionally, like, I'm probably not interested in like a Sixers center prospect. who can't really shoot at this point, especially given the construction of their team. Um, I mean, I've looked at backup center options, but it's just really, I mean, it's really hard with like certain centers at some point, like to, after you get past the cream of the crop that usually go in the top 20, like the movement skills really dissipate. Like two guys I looked at, like Luca Garza and Matthew Hurt. I know Garza's name came up. Um, both are like Matthew Hurt's a ridiculously good shooter dude can't slide his feet so i i don't see how it's ever gonna work um and luca garza uh can really mash dudes inside great college player very fun to watch um and if he can really hurt people and pick and pop defense but just again like it's my big thing it's like if you don't have movement skills with the ball in your hand or then without for defense like i just i get really worried about how it ever works so i i'm not it would not be my choice. I if I could take two six seven up wings for the Sixers, or at least six six up wings, I would do like probably my dream draft for the Sixers in a way is maybe Kessler Edwards at twenty eight and Isaiah Livers out of Michigan at fifty. Okay, he's gonna shooting wing. Um, I've wrote, wrote wrote about him a few months back. Uh, back during the season, though, just like I think that's two guys who I think legitimately with their wing size and with their shooting ability and movement skills could probably play for the Sixers. So we've got two left. Uh, Cam Thomas. I've talked with so much with some of my friends today about Cam Thomas because Cam Thomas is like what a lot of those people on Twitter call a real hooper because he gets he takes a lot of shots, gets a lot of free throws, throws a lot of free throws, very willing to shoot, and he can really score. He has he has this weird thing where he's right handed. He is almost always driving to his left and he holds the body on his ball on his left side of his body as he goes up like the whole way through. Mm. He's it's weird. It looks weird. It's very jarring to see at first. And he also like he points his like so like say he's coming up for a shot from like the wing. His like feet are both directly pointed at the opposite sideline as he's rising up. Mm. Um he turns his body in midair very impressively. He's very athletic. Um, and honestly, one of my favorite traits about him is like when he drives to the rim, he's a powerful dude with his and his strength. Like he can, despite not being the tallest guy, he can move dudes out of the way with his strength and get to the rim for finishes. And again, like he draws a ton of free throws, partially due to that strength and being able to get to the rim. Also partially due to the fact that he is he's like a Trey Young, Danilo Gallinari level of no shame grifter, where like he feels anyone near him, he's gonna flail his arms because he he knows he can get those foul shots which I mean has value. It has value. Um, yeah. My thing is though, Cam, like just, and it's hard to say because LSU as a team was kind of like this, but man, Cam, first of all, it does, he does not, he's not looking to pass. He does. He's basically going to shoot on every possession defensively. Again, LSU is horrible. Cam is really bad on defense. I think he's okay in certain situations, the half court, he might be the worst transition defender I've ever watched. And I'm not even trying to he's exaggerate. Gonna fit right in. I love it. He, he sounds like the legit opposite, exact opposite of Ben Simmons. Like, <laughs> like 
won't pass, always shoot. They both went to LSU. Uh, yeah, it's like, um, yeah. Okay. He does this weird thing where guys will be coming out in transition. He's not even like faking or he like does the fake, like, you know, um, I'm trying to think. So if you guys ever played high school basketball, there will always be the guy who it's the most annoying thing. And it's worse when it's a guy with long arms so he can actually do it purposely lets you drive by them so they can swap like reach around and hit the ball out of your hands covington used to do that yeah but like covington's a good friend again like long arms so Covington can do it cam's not anywhere close to that and he like doesn't even really do it he just kind of like half-heartedly swipes like this like it's almost like he's making a defensive line swim move on the player but like pushing them towards the basket he, he doesn't play transition defense um so like his best role in the NBA is probably if some team can get him to buy on, into an off-ball role because the way he can get shots off and he can move, shoot off movement and he can shoot, all those things are good. So if they can buy get him to buy into a lower usage role as a smaller off-ball shooter, he can be a good NBA player. But the Sixers already have Seth Curry who fulfills that role. So I'm kind of like, I, I think I can at least see, like I'm not a big Cam Thomas fan, but I could see what value adds to certain teams. But the Sixers already have that role filled, so he wouldn't be my pick. All right, and last one that we have, um, Quentin Grimes. Yeah, I haven't watched enough of Quentin, although I'm pretty sure so. This is... Anticlimactic last one, man. Damn. Yeah, I know. My bad. But, uh, now, Quentin, uh, I did get to. I mean, I did get to see some of Houston in the tournament. Like, I know the appeal of like basically a shooter. Um, I actually have the ESPN mock draft pulled up right now. Um, let me scroll to the bottom here. Yeah, like, I mean, at least at least the fit here, I disagree with, like, the general pitch that's being given, which is just the Sixers need as much three-point shooting as possible. And, yeah, obviously, like, that's good. I don't think the lack of overall shooting is what killed the Sixers more than just, like, again, I think it's the certain versatility, certain guard play. I don't, and he's, like, an older guard at that, too. Um, I do know he has, definitely has some defensive ability that could be interesting, too. But, um, I, I mean, it's just my general philosophy, like, Basically, I'm at the point where I'm like, I want the Sixers to take a wing with some shoot. I want the Sixers to either take a wing at 28 or I want them to take Jared Butler if he falls. Because, again, I'm just very in on that whole versatile shooter, capable defender kind of archetype. So uh, before we get out of here, uh, you mentioned Isaiah Livers as somebody that you would like to see the Sixers draft. Can, you want to talk about him for a second? Yeah, definitely an older player. Much older. I think he's a senior at Michigan this past year. Um, dude just – like uh, fit very well within their system. He doesn't he doesn't move as fast as some movement shooters, but he can come off of weird angles and shoot and shoots in the face of contest pretty effortlessly. Um, defensively, overall, salt defensively definitely knows where he's doing. Has the strength to like not get bullied by guys. His foot speed isn't great, but I think on a team like the Sixers with some very fast defenders, you can get away with that. Um, honestly, probably honestly, the more I think about it, he has some Danny Green similarities, just as like that. Like, you know, not the most physically capable guy. I think he can dribble a little more than Danny, but, like, not a ton. But, like, a guy who has smart instincts for when to space to three and is willing to shoot, gets the shot off, and is a good shooter. And then defensively, with his strength, size, and, like, positional know-how, he's pretty solid man. And I think I've seen him as low as 50. So if he's there at 50, I think that's just a good guy to bet on. It's like, I think he can get in your rotation. Um. To the three of you, do we have anything else on the draft before we let uh, Daniel go on with his night and before we all uh, leave? Anything? I don't know anything about the draft besides what Dan just told me. So. <laughs> that's, that's the sum total of our knowledge. Emily, you too? Yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. From everything, we have everything. I think this was like – this was a very good draft primer because we have both sides of it, which is like if the Sixers actually make their picks – 
we heard from Dan, who has watched the guys, and he knows maybe who we want to pick. And we'll obviously have, you know, some thoughts on it on draft night. And then we have the element of, you know, potential Sixers trades that maybe come due on draft night, which mm-hmm. is, you know, namely Bradley Beal. And we have that element from Jake. So I think that I've learned a lot today about the Sixers draft night in total. So I will say this serves as a nice appetizer for Thursday night, uh, which we're doing another Liberty. We've talked about this on here, but we're doing another Liberty Ballers live stream. Uh, it will go up as a talking about podcast, uh, Dan and Sean and uh, Tyler. And uh, I'm not sure how much draft stuff Tom and Harrison get into, but we'll be there. Uh, Emily, Dan Volpone and I will be rating their attractiveness, the each uh, draft prospect, as we are wont to do. And uh, Daniel Olinger himself, are you going to be grading every pick again? I don't, I don't know if I'll be grading every pick. I can definitely give thoughts on every pick. For sure. Okay. Um, you'll have to watch or listen to find out if he's going to give grades. Um, definitely come to that uh, on, on YouTube or definitely listen to it afterwards. Um, I think that that's it for us. Uh, we want to thank Jake Fisher, first of all, for coming on uh, earliest in this podcast this morning for us uh, after his report came out. Giant thank you to Daniel Olinger for coming on. Uh, listen to Dan on the Talking About podcast with Sean. That's a really great podcast. And, of course, the Sixers Draft podcast, which has one more episode, I believe, coming out this week. Right? Yeah, me and uh, me and my guy Francis talked about Sam Hauser out of Virginia. So if you okay. want to hear about him, like, yeah. <laughs> great. So that comes out. What do we, what do, we do? Wednesday or Thursday for that? I, you're the podcast director, man. I just give you yeah, Steve. Come on, listen. It'll be out at some point. We'll all enjoy it. Um, uh, I want to say one thing real quick because I've given Daniel Olinger this compliment like privately, but I haven't said it publicly. Which is, and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are probably listening to all of Dan's podcasts as well. But just in case you're not, I think Dan is like so enjoyable to listen to talk about basketball um, because he. I think he really explains things that like either I wouldn't would never be able to put into words really like and he says it really well or like something I would not notice um, whether it's you know a certain like very minor skill or like X's and O stuff that I literally just don't know and he explains in a way that I think is like really easy to understand but doesn't sound like he's like talking down to you so I think he's just like a great guy to listen to when he does podcasts or whatever he writes to just learn more about the game. And I really enjoy him in that respect. So you should definitely check out all the work he's doing. Uh, well, thank, thanks for that. It's a really good to hear uh, very kind words. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. I love listening to you guys too. I mean, like also like, I, I mean, I think I know a lot about basketball, but you guys, like I was pr- praising versatility, all podcasts, like you guys are versatile. Like I, I can never do anything about the bachelor or the bachelor. Yeah, like, that is right. versatility. That is versatility right there. Like, a new episode when this comes out so very exciting i have no clue i have still never watched it and it's hometowns come on it's hometowns what does I that might mean make you, i what might make mean? you do a bachelor podcast with us i might i might just sort of tell you that we're going to talk about uh jared butler and then just say let's talk about how uh justin made the final four and i think pair i think we should do it for paradise and we can play a game of like did this or did this not happen Mm -hmm. i think that's good we love games on this podcast we love games yes we do um and congratulations to emily very happy for you and excited for you and thank uh, you 
great to see you guys and we will see you guys all uh on thursday night when uh everything might be different or, or it might all be the same the ending always takes a long time to actually end the podcast good to see you all uh be safe and ha- be s- great goodbye see ya. <laughs>